0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest, disinterested people in Jesus Christ, and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning again. Good morning. Hey, um... First off, I just want to lift up that, man, that's such a powerful story. That's the Steckley Small Group that meets all the way and get this Martin County. That's a long ways away. That's about 45 minutes away. There are people from all over the Palm Beach area who come to Community of Hope and who connect with each other. And that's a very, very powerful thing. And that's to just reiterate what we've been talking about earlier today. If you came in after getting a cup of coffee, after we had our little short announcement time, this is Group Connect weekend. And there are many groups out in the lobby. We're going to just let you go about five minutes early today. That's right. I'm going to finish early. Can somebody say amen to that? Yeah. All right. Now we're going to send you out five minutes early to go and check out all sorts of groups. That's for anybody who's not yet in a group and you're looking for one. You want maybe, maybe this year I want to try something new. I want to try a group like they've been talking about to grow my faith and build some relationships to a place to be known and to know other people, to pour myself out and to receive for myself. It's a very, very powerful thing. And as you can hear from the story there, it's a game changer, especially when uh, life has a way of happening. And doesn't anybody ever had life happen to you? Yeah, that's why you need a group. Right? It's really important. So make sure you check that out. Hey, before we go any further, can we thank Verona and the team for leading us in worship? Can we do that? Thank you, guys. Well, we are, uh, thank you for leading us in worship. It's a great lead in to where we're going to be at today. We are in week two of a brand new sermon series. It's a new year, new decade, new sermon series, and we're calling it Best Year Yet. Everyone say that with me Best Year Yet. And what we're, we're talking about in this series is what does it mean to focus on what's most important in 2020, and what do you know when you focus on what's most important in the coming year, you will draw the most satisfaction and the most joy in your life. We started off last week talking about this series of how the Apostle Peter is going to be our guide for the first several weeks in 2020. Oh, I talked to you about my favorite picture of Peter is this painting right here. Grizzled old fisherman Peter, none of these mamby pamby pictures and paintings of saints that look like guys that I could beat up, but more like that, grizzled old fisherman Peter. Uh, We're going to let Peter, through the the writing of the letter Second Peter, guide us. It was the last thing that he wrote. It was just right before he was about to die. He was executed in Rome for saying, Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. And Emperor Nero put him to death in the Colosseum. No, not in the Colosseum. excuse me. That was Paul. Peter was crucified upside down. We talked about that last week. What a way to die. Wow, pretty powerful. Now, Peter, as you can see here, he's got fishing nets in his hand. He was a, um, before Jesus called him to become a follower of his and to be the rock for the church, again, not Dwayne the rock, but Peter was the rock before Dwayne was. And uh, when Jesus called him, he was a fisherman. He was a commercial fisherman. Jesus, by his trade before he began his public ministry, was a carpenter. And so Jesus, when he called Peter, he told him, you're now a fisherman, but if you follow me, I'll teach you how to fish for men, how to fish for people. And he did. And what we're going to be looking at for the rest of our time today, and so Jesus not only called Peter how to fish for people, but since Jesus was a carpenter, he knew how to build things, I believe that he also taught Peter not only how to fish for people, but to how to build people, to build their souls. And Peter here gives us a master plan. For how you can build your soul in 2020, not just this year, but in all the years to come. So our theme verse comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you haven't grabbed your sermon notes yet out of your Connect folder, I encourage you to do that. Here's our theme verse for this whole series that we're going to use to focus our attention and our time. And we're going to read it out loud all together now. Ready, go. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Very good. And then our verse just for today in particular comes from Second Peter chapter 1 and the first half of verse 5. We read a big section last week of 1 through 11 and there's a list of characteristics and traits that Peter says that we should make every effort to build on. That we should make every effort to have all of these in increasing measure. And if we do that, we will have a faith and a life that is fruitful, that is productive, that is satisfying, that's a blessing to the world and honoring to God. And here's some of these things that he listed. He listed faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Each one of these words is what we're going to be focusing on over the next several weeks together. And so we're going to begin right here, right now. First, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, the first half of verse 5, and it says this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So this morning, we're going to talk about faith. Would you pray with me? Father, you say in your word that you inspired through human authors that this book, your word, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So God, I pray that um, as light illuminates things, would you bring illumination to our hearts. Shine your light upon a path so that people will get some guidance this morning. Lord, shine your light into dark places that exist in our hearts. Would you shine your light on some lies that we believed and shine uh, your truth instead? And lastly, Lord, I pray that you would shine your light into our hearts just like has the sun brings warmth, especially here where we live. We know what that feels like and how good that feels. We ask that you bring the warmth of your light and your presence through your word that we would not only experience you with our minds, but in our hearts today. Speak, Lord. Just right where you're sitting in your seat, if you're willing, just silently to yourself and to God, why don't you invite him to speak to you through his word this morning. Just you and him, do that now. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Okay, so uh, I want to start today by playing a game of opposites. So uh, I need you, I need a little bit of participation here. If you've never been to a church where people shout back at the preacher, we do a little bit of that here. Nobody goes cray-cray, but I do need you to speak back a little bit. So, all right, here we go. Opposites game. I want you to shout it out. What is the opposite of first? Good job. You all get the gold star. All right. Okay. What's the opposite of old? New. Come on. Okay. <laughs> What's the opposite of hot? Cold. Last night at the West Campus, somebody said, um, "Was it? Uh, ugly. Yeah. The opposite of hot is ugly. Somebody said that at the West Campus. You can't make that up. The opposite of hot is cold. Right. Okay. What's the opposite of good? Great job. Okay, what's the opposite of fire? We got cold water ice. Wow, okay. Ice water, is that what somebody said? Okay, all those are acceptable. Okay, so those are the easy ones. Now we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit more into some culture around going on. Anybody here seen the new Star Wars movie? Yeah, all right. I loved it. Episode nine was great. I loved it. And if you did not like it, it's okay. Nobody's perfect. So all right, so for Star Wars nerds in the room, what is the opposite of the Jedi? The Sith. The Sith. Nerds unite. Yes. We'll all take out our retainers later and go have lunch. Okay. Okay, uh, for how many people who are, fr- who are uh, fans of the NBC show The Good Place, what is the opposite of The Good Place? The Bad Place. That's right. Okay, we all have different diets and different food re- uh, regimens that we're doing at the beginning of a new year. What is the opposite of vegan food? Good food, good, good food. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I, legitimately, I had vegan cheese this week, and it was delicious. It tasted just like real cheese. I think I did it wrong, though, because I put it on top of a real hamburger, and I'm not sure if that's cheating or not, but it was, it was, it was good. It was delicious. So anyway, all right, so last one, last one. What is the opposite of faith? Yeah. Some of you said doubt. Fear. Okay, well, fear, that's okay, that's good. That's good. Y'all you, you you all are spiritual. Y'all are thinking about this. Good. The, most people would think the opposite of faith is doubt. But I'm here to tell you, not necessarily. Doubt is not necessarily the opposite of faith. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning about doubt. Um, Doubt, some people, especially people who are persons of faith, who have grown up in the church, who are part of religious organizations, um, many people make the mistake that they think that uh, for somebody to have strong faith, you need to have the absence of doubt. Strong faith means that you do not doubt at all. And when people begin to think about faith and doubt in that context to make them adversaries against each other, People who are religious will begin to think that doubt is dangerous because it threatens your faith. This is why when some people take this angle and this approach to this issue, uh, why some, uh, particularly churches, and why some followers of Jesus and some Christians uh, get mean-spirited about doubt. They get defensive about doubt, and they think doubt is dangerous. And if you're somebody who struggles with doubt and you have questions, that means you. You become dangerous and they treat you that way this perspective about faith and doubt that they're opposites that they cannot coexist that they have an adversarial relationship that leads followers of Jesus to sometimes be intolerant mean-spirited and flat-out jerks to people who have legit questions anybody here know what I'm talking about okay don't point (laughs) I'm just kidding I'm just kidding Uh, This stuff matters, it matters. I'm a big NFL fan. There's a lot of football going on this weekend. Um, I know I talk a lot about the Seminoles. I'm actually more of an NFL fan, believe it or not. Just nobody cares about the Buccaneers, so I talk about the Seminoles. So, um, But this weekend, the, today's got a great playoff game. The Seattle Seahawks are going to be playing the Green Bay Packers. Great game. Uh, the, for the Seattle Seahawks, they have their all-star quarterback, Russell Wilson, who is in the running race for the league MVP, especially after Lamar Jackson got blanked last night by the Tennessee Titans. Nobody cares? Okay, great. Anyway, um, yeah, great. Thank you for the two people. It makes me feel better. I appreciate that. We're (laughs) friends. Let's go get lunch afterward. Okay. Um, And Russell Wilson is a very outspoken follower of Jesus. Very much so. He's a great guy. He had a great season. Loves Jesus. Uh, For the Green Bay Packers, they have their all-world Super Bowl MVP quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Who used to be a Christian. Used to be. Now, don't worry here. Nobody here is here. to judge, Aaron Rodgers, that's not the spirit of our church. That's not what we're talking about. He's talked about this openly in the media, in public. So none of this is gossip. None of this is used as a negative example. But many people can identify with somebody like Aaron Rodgers. See, he grew up in a conservative Christian family. And he grew up in a very conservative uh, Christian church that had a very high view of the Bible, um, that followed Jesus with all their hearts, but he grew up beginning to have some questions about his faith as a child that he never felt like he was allowed to ask. And so he just kept doing the right thing and kept following God and kept going to church, but he had these questions, but he never felt like he was allowed to pursue them. Until when, ironically, when he won the Super Bowl, the pinnacle of his career and his life's work. He did it all. He reached the top of the mountain, and he was sitting on the team bus, leaving the stadium, looking down, going, there's got to be more than this. And so he began to question everything in his life, including his faith, that he always felt like he was never allowed to question. In fact, he said this to ESPN, the magazine, about two and a half years ago, quote, he said, I think organized religion, if you don't like organized religion, good, we're not organized here. So, um, he said, I dig- sorry, uh, I digress. He said, I think organized religion, listen to this, can have a mind-debilitating effect. He says, organized religion can have a mind-debilitating effect. Because there is an exclusivity that can shut you out from being open to the world, to people, and energy, and love, and acceptance. A lot of people can identify with somebody like Aaron Rodgers. I had questions. I wasn't allowed to ask them. When I finally did, I felt like this whole thing was a house of cards that just all fell in on itself. And now he says he's a spiritual person, but he doesn't ascribe anything. He doesn't label himself as anything. He won't label himself as a follower of Jesus or as a Christian. He just kind of is. Now, here's the thing. We're not here to judge him whatsoever. That's not the posture of what Christians are actually supposed to do. Christians are not actually supposed to judge those who doubt or who have questions or who are skeptics. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible in Jude, verse 22. There's only one chapter, so it's just what verse it says. So Jude, verse 22, says this. Be merciful to those who doubt. And then if you look at the message paraphrase of the Bible from Eugene Peterson, it says the same verse, go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. See, this is the posture of our church towards people who struggle with doubt and faith. We believe that the church should be a safe place for people to ask questions, for people to... Uh, pursue the questions that come up from their doubt, to be able to pursue their skepticism. Uh, we, that's why we have one of the groups that's on your sheet. We have our skeptics group here at church to help people pursue this type of a thing. See, what happens is with doubt and with questions and skepticism, if you push them down, if you suppress them, if you silence them, they get worse, and they come out and they explode. But if you lean into your doubt... If you train your doubt, if you face your doubt and face your questions, ironically, it doesn't ruin your faith. It most likely makes it even stronger. And that's what we're talking about today. I want to take a few moments to talk about what is faith and what isn't faith and what is doubt and what actually isn't doubt. So if you're taking notes, here's what we can learn from the Bible. If Peter is going to tell us to start with faith as our foundation to build on, here's what some other scriptures say about faith faith. So first off, faith, guys, it's not a blind leap. Faith is not a blind leap. It's not. Many people think, they make the mistake that faith is blind, and many well-intentioned Christians have reasoned with friends and family members, urging them to, oh, just, just believe. Just believe. Now, sometimes faith is easier for some than others. It just is. And what some people make the honest mistake, they're good-hearted, they're good-natured, they're trying to help. They want people they love to know what they know, to experience what they experience, and to encounter a loving God that they know when they tell people, just believe. You know, that's all you have to do. Some people can't just believe. They can't. And I'm here to tell you that faith is never meant to be just believe. Faith is supposed to have a component of it that seeks evidence. Look at this. In Hebrews 1, the first half of verse 1, it says it here. Now faith is confidence. Confidence in what we hope for. Faith isn't blind. Faith is supposed to have a level of confidence to it. That's supposed to have looked at the evidence to look at the reasoning to be able to engage it to where you should have a level of confidence in your faith for sure. In fact, look at this when Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of Luke of what's the most important commandment all of the Bible. He says this in Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. You do not have to check your brain at the door. To follow Jesus. You do not. Let me tell you about a friend of mine named Jason. Jason, um, he and I met probably in 2014 or 15 at a mutual friend's, get this, birthday party that was at a bowling alley. No, there were no children there. It was all adults. And we just... One of my friends wanted to get together and go bowling, so we were all there—a bunch of people from our small group—and he happened to be a mutual friend of the birthday guy. And we, so we had a bunch of people from church and a couple of people who were not from church. And so I struck up a conversation with this guy named Jason, and um, he asked me, "What do you do?" And that's where this, the ship usually sinks if people don't know what I do. Because, well, um, I, I work at—I work at a nonprofit. Oh, you do, huh? <laughs> because if I go, well, I'm a pastor. A couple of things either happen. They look at you like, you're an alien. I'm done talking to you. Or like, oh, you're a pastor. Good. Let me ask you every weird question I've ever had about God. When are the end times? Oh, gosh. Oh, no. So, um, so I usually don't say it, but he found out that I was the pastor of the church, and I was somewhat of a normal guy, terrible bowler, normal guy. And we started talking. And he was saying, my wife loves Jesus and is a Christian. My in-laws are Christians. I've never grown up in the church and they want me to believe so badly and I want to want to believe. I want to believe so badly. I want to to do this, but I feel like I can't because they're telling me I have to just believe, but I can't. It's because of my job and the way it's oriented my mind. Do you know what Jason does for a living? He's a detective with Palm Beach County. And so he's telling me like, my whole life, is oriented around evidence. My life doesn't work if I don't pursue evidence and facts and conclusions about things. And when I feel like I can't use my brain in that way, for me, it doesn't compute. And he felt like he was not allowed. He thought faith was a blind leap. And I tell him, hey, man, it's not actually a blind leap. Questions are good. You can ask them. And by the way, we have this group at our church. I mean, I'm not, I'm not. Trying to get you to come. I mean, I would love for you to come, but we have this group that's for free at our church called the Skeptics Group. Bring all of your questions. You can pursue it in a safe, non judgmental atmosphere. And by God, he did. And he went. And nothing happened overnight. It was a whole year when he went to skeptics and then he started coming to church and then started hanging around more and more and more. And about two years, two and a half years later after a fateful meeting in a bowling alley, he and I got lunch at a burger fry over in Wellington and over a delicious hamburger and french fries, Jason gave his life to Jesus. Yeah. Because it turns out what this detective can say is what do you know, the evidence for Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection is actually pretty darn compelling and is even greater than the evidence against it. Faith is not a blind leap. It's not. Here's something else that faith is not. Faith is also not 100% certainty. It's not 100% certainty. Okay, so I, I need a couple volunteers here. Don't worry, I'm not going to have anybody come up here. I just want you to stay in your seats here. I'm, I'm going to tell everybody here that right here in my, my shirt pocket, I have a $5 bill. Who believes me that I have a $5 bill in my pocket? Okay, you do? Okay, sure. Okay, good. All right, I have a $5 bill in my pocket. I promise I'm not lying to you. Uh, we don't know each other well, but my character is I'm a terrible liar anyway, and I would definitely not lie in church. The microphone is on my head. I would not tick off God that way, okay? So um, I promise I have a $5 bill in my pocket. You believe me, okay? I'm about to destroy your faith. Can you see that from here? How about here? Can anybody tell her what type of bill this is? It's a five. Why in the world would this destroy her faith? I, I told the truth. I'm just showing you it's a $5 bill. Here's the difference. When there's 100% certainty, faith becomes obsolete. It's not faith anymore. Remember that old hymn, Oh, haste the day when my faith shall become sight. See, when you have 100% certainty, faith is not necessary anymore, faith goes away, it's not important anymore because you can see it, there's, no certain, there's nothing left to be faithful to because you see it. This is why the Apostle Paul says, it's not going to be on the screen, but listen to this, it's Second Corinthians 13, 12, now we see only reflection is in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Faith isn't certainty, because when you have 100% certainty, faith becomes obsolete. What do we have then if faith isn't certainty? What says this in the second half verse of Hebrews 11.1? Now faith, it's confidence what we hope for, and it's assurance about what we do not see. The great heroes of the Bible who saw miracles and God changed the world through, they were all, all of them struggled with seasons of doubt, seasons of questions, seasons where they were angry at God, every last one of them. But even in the midst of their struggles and their uncertainty, they did have confidence and they did have assurance. See, when you, in your faith, in your journey with Jesus, you're never going to have 100% certainty, but you can't have confidence and you can't have assurance. And assurance means simply this, that by the power of God's Spirit, you can have confidence with your mind and you can feel in your heart that this is truth. Because of the Holy Spirit witnessing to your heart that it's true. One of my favorite things in the whole world to say about this idea of assurance is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And Jesus loves me, this I know, because he told me so. By the power of the Holy Spirit. It's assurance. You're never going to have 100% certainty, but by God's Spirit, you can have deep confidence and assurance at the same time. Now, if that's what faith is not, what is biblical faith? Well, this is the most important thing. Faith is trust. Faith is trust. Hebrews 11.6 talks about faith even more in this concept. It says, and without faith, underline that word. Oh, you don't have that on your notes. Just kidding. Well, in your Bibles, later on, go do that. There's your homework. Go write in your Bible. Okay. Um, Without faith... It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. Those two words, faith and believe, they're like different in English, but they're very, very similar in the original languages written in Greek. The word faith is for the word pistis, and believe is for the word pisteo. Pistis and pisteo, not pistachio. Pisteo. Similar, right? Pistis and pisteo. If you look at a Greek dictionary, they come from the same root word, and they mean this. Of what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have belief? Belief. It says they re- these two words convey to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. Listen to that again. It means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. So it's not the faith of the Bible to just believe that there's something else out there and that there's a God who created things. That's a good start. That's not the faith and belief that the Bible talks about. It's also not just faith to agree that the God that may be out there is actually the God that's revealed in the Bible. And to agree that the God of the Bible has a son and his name is Jesus, who lived and who died on a cross for the sins of the world, and to agree that he rose again on the third day, to agree with all of that, isn't the faith of what the Bible is talking about, believe it or not. Did you know? To make all those affirmations of, there's only one God, he's the God of the Bible, his son is Jesus, died on a cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven to agree with all of those, still comes up short because even the devil agrees with all of those because he's seen it and then shakes in his boots. That's not the faith of the Bible. Agreement isn't it. Faith that the Bible talks about is trust. Now listen to the distinction here. The faith of the Bible is to be able to move from I have faith in Jesus to I trust in Jesus. It's different. It's one thing to say, oh, I believe Jesus lived. It's another to say, I trust that he lived and lives again. It's another to say, I believe he died on a cross. To say, I trust in his death on the cross to wash me of my sins, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a fresh start where I can begin again. I place my trust in it. It's another to say, I believe that he rose again from the third day. It's another to say, I trust in his resurrection because it means life and victory and freedom for me in all my broken places. It's another to say I believe that he ascended to heaven. It's another thing to say I trust that he ascended to heaven as my high priest because now I can approach the throne of grace with confidence because there's another one there on my behalf and his name is Jesus. I just don't yeah. I just don't believe in Jesus. I trust. I trust in Jesus. Faith is trust. There's a story about the great Mother Teresa, the saint of Calcutta, uh, of a man from the Western world who was a renowned ethicist. And he traveled all the way across the world to visit her in Calcutta. And after making his journey all the way across the world, I mean, she's one of the most famous figures in all the world, Somehow, some way, was granted an audience with her. And not only was he granted an audience with her to have a private meeting with the famed Mother Teresa, but he was also granted permission to have her pray for him. Can you imagine if you got a prayer appointment with Mother Teresa? This man who went and got a prayer appointment for, with her, he had struggled with doubt and questions. And he was in search of clarity. And my goodness, if anybody has unshakable faith in all of the world, it's that lady right there who's in heaven now, where her faith has become sight. So he goes to Mother Teresa, and he explains why he's coming. He explains his struggles. He says, I would, she said, my son, how can I pray for you? And he said, I, I would like you to pray that I would have clarity. And then Mother Teresa looks at him, blinks a couple times, and goes, no, I'm not going to pray for that. How did your Friday go? This guy got told no by his prayer request by Mother Teresa. He had a bad day. And so if you had traveled to the other side of the world to ask Mother Teresa to pray for you for one thing, and she said no, how would that make you feel? And so he started to go, I don't, I, I don't understand. Why won't you pray for clarity for me? I look at you, and you just... Seemed to have such clarity. He didn't say this, but he meant this. You have such certainty. Your faith seems to have no doubt. Why won't you pray for that? And she looked at him and laughed and said, I've never had clarity a day in my life. But I have had trust. And I will pray for you now that you will trust Friends, this is faith. The Bible answers many questions about what we believe. Many of it answers, some questions don't get answered, but there's one question that emphatically gets answered over and over and over again with a resounding yes, and it's this. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted to forgive you of your sins? Can God be trusted to be the leader of your life? Can God be trusted to be the healer of your life? Can God be trusted as your source of truth? Can God be trusted in your pain and on the darkest day of your life if he's still good? Can God be trusted? Yes, yes, yes. God can be trusted. And faith is trust. Here's the last thing that faith is. Faith has to show up in your life. Go back to Hebrews 11.6, guys. Not only do we have to believe that he exists, but that he, look at this, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is not, like I've said, a mental assent of agreement theologically. Faith is hearty trust. Hearty trust so that when you understand who God is and what he promises to do, that you would act on it and that you would get this, do something with it. I'm gonna let you guys in on a little secret here. In just our closing moments, Verona, you can come on up. The goal of preaching is not for me to get you guys to come in here and to agree with everything I say and say, amen, good sermon preacher, and we all just go on with our lives, even though I do like it when you say nice things to me the goal of preaching of all true biblical communicating is not to get you to agree with me. My goal and the goal of every faithful preacher of that book is to fill you with faith, is to fill you with faith and who God is. It's to fill you with faith in the character of God And to fill you with faith about the promises of God. Of who he is and what he says he'll do. And to fill you with such faith in that, such trust in that, that you would walk out of this place and do something based on the truth of the character of him. So here's the question I ask you now. I want you to do something with. If faith is trust. And if the goal of coming in here is to grow our faith then what would be the next step of faith that God is asking you to take today? Not a blind leap, but where is the next place where he's inviting you to place your trust in him? If you're able, would you please stand? And friends, this is a holy moment now. And in God's presence, I invite you to bow your heads. And I want you to pray this simple prayer in your heart. We're going to ask God a question and invite Him to speak to you. Pray something like this Holy Spirit, where do you want me to trust you? Holy Spirit, where's the next place you're inviting me to trust in you? Do that now, just you and God. I feel like there's one person in here this morning um, the Holy Spirit's inviting you to trust that God is actually good and you've been through a lot of pain he wants you to know that he is good and he loves you and is inviting you to come home thank you Lord Lord we pray that you would give us grace to trust you, and to take a step of faith. It's in your name we pray, amen. Before we dismiss, don't go anywhere. We have a prayer room back here. Um, If you have anything going on in your life, you need prayer, please go over there. They would love to talk with you, pray with you about anything. But otherwise, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.